This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Does this work? Does this work? It works. Does this work? Works? Okay. Okay. You can make Pinchas. Make it lower. I take it that every now and then I'll stop the recording and turn it back on. I'm going to give it like a little bit. Oh, shit. Okay. And then I'm going to start the Guinness. So I'll, I'll give you a sign to stop. Tishabov is the most wretched day on our calendar. It is such a miserable day that the Navi Yermia cursed the day that he was born. Yermia, of course, was born on Tishabov. From time immemorial, Tishabov has been the most tragic day for the Jewish people. The Mishnah, the end of Masechta Tainis, Davchavavam and Beis records five tragedies that occurred on Tishabav, beginning with the two Bate Mikdashim. Actually, before that even, Tishabav had already been seared as a day of misfortune for the Jewish people, when on the very first Tishabav, the Miraglim came back, slandering Eretz Yisrael. And Chazal tell us, the Pasuk says, Vayivku who the people cried on that night. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Atem Bachisem Shalchinam, I'll give you good reason to cry on Tishabav. So the first temple was destroyed. The second Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. The great city of Beitar was destroyed on Tishabav. Tornus Rufus plows the foundation of the Harabayas on Tishabav. So the Navi Yirmi had good reason to curse his birthday. We know throughout history, when there's something bad to happen, it happens on Tisha B'av. Tisha B'av is like a lightning rod. In the year 1290, the Jews were expelled from England on Tisha B'av, expelled from France on Tisha B'av. I remember when I was a kid. It was the Shabbos before my Bar Mitzvah. It was the Shabbos... And I'm walking with my father. We're headed to Shul, the Agoda of Avenue L. Burnt down on Tishabav. We looked ahead, the Shul was no longer. But likely, of all the above mentioned tragedies, the worst tragedy that happened on Tishabav was the great tragedy of the Gerushe Sfarad. Already from the time of the first base Hamikdash, when Jews were exiled to Bavel, many, way, many Jews made their way to Europe. They came to Spain. So there's already a settlement in Spain from the time of the destruction of the first temple. 
And then in the time of the second base Hamikdash, Ezra gives a call, return, return. Many Jews remained in Spain. And then upon the destruction of the second base Hamikdash, in the year 68, many Jews were exiled to Spain. So you had two groups of Jews in Spain. You had Jews from the times of Bayez Rishon, and you had Jews from the times of Bayez Sheni. And then in the 10th century, upon the decline of the great Torah academies in Bavel, Sura and Pompadisa, Spain becomes the epicenter of Torah Jewry. Now just for a moment, I want to debunk the following myth. You know, people talk about the golden age of Spain. You have to know Jewish history of Spain was replete massacres, pogroms, persecutions, non-stop. But you know, Judaism and Jewish history is relative. Relative, let's say, to the 14th century, there is a 200-year window that we could call the Golden Age of Spain. But there's a Jewish phenomenon that after we leave a gullus, after they torture us and massacre us, we look back longingly of the pleasant days of the gullus. We look, we look back at Mitzrayim. Oh, remember the cucumbers in Mitzrayim? They tortured us for 400 years. They took our babies and they used the babies in buildings as cement. But we always look back. We like to go on vacation to death camps. That's Jewish phenomenon. Many of us know a lot of information about the Spanish Inquisition and the expulsion. I would like to present to you today, and we've spoken about this in the past, but I want to take this to another level. I would like to present to you what is considered the most authoritative and comprehensive first-hand account from one of the greatest Jewish luminaries who was present in those times, Rebbe Don Yitzchak Abarbanel. Now, the Abarbanel was not only a great commentary on Tanakh, but he actually played a role in the transmission of the Torah of the Jewish people. So, Ayin Bebeis Yosef Simen Kuf Samaches, he refers to the Abarbanel as Hanesher Hagada, And the Abarbanel records astonishing historical information. In his introduction to Sefer Yehoshua, Hoshea, and most extensively, in his commentary to Sefer Malachim. So the Abarbanel is a prolific writer. He, he was born in 1438. Remember the date. He passes away in 1508. Gematria Chassar. When the Abarbanel passed away, Klaiso felt Chassar. He wrote a prolific commentary, a trilogy, on the coming of Mashiach. It's called Migdal Yeshuais. Three parts. Yeshuais Mashiachai. Mayane Yeshua, Mashmiya Yeshua, and of course his magnum opus on Tanakh. So here we go. Abarbanel begins his career in Portugal. And he's an advisor of King Alfonso, who the Abarbanel called a righteous ruler. By the way, Alfonso was Mashadech with Infanta Isabella, the daughter of Ferdinand and Isabel. Okay, so keep that in mind. His shver. His shvigar was Isabella. He dies in 1481 and he was succeeded by his son, Joao II. We'll call him John. We'll keep it simple. Joao II. 
Zhuwal executes almost all of his father's advisors. Abarbanel gets a knock on the door. The king would like to see you. He needs some Eitzah. Abarbanel is told the king doesn't want Eitzah. The king wants to chop Abarbanel's head off. So the Abarbanel flees immediately with his pursuers at his back. He runs out of Portugal and he makes his way to Spain just moments ahead of his pursuers. He arrives in Spain penniless. In anonymity, which is a good thing for a rabbi. He comes to Toledo. He starts writing on Yehoshua, Shmuel, Shoiftim. But it is not long he is summoned by the king of Spain, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. And in this capacity, Abarbanel helped the king and queen elevate Spain into a financial superpower. But times of peace would not last long. Ferdinand and Isabella embarked on their ambition of reconquista, to reconquer the entire Iberian Peninsula. So Mohammed comes on the scene, 622. 711. Okay, next time you go into 711. 711. The Muslims cross the Strait of Gibraltar and they conquer the Iberian Peninsula. Ferdinand and Isabella have ambition to reconquer Iberian Peninsula, to bring it under Christian control. And in 1487, Malaga falls to the Christian monarchs with only one Arab stronghold remaining to complete their goal of reconquista. And then the ominous year 1492 arrived. January 2nd, 1492. Ferdinand and Isabel win a great victory. They attack Granada with their great fortress, the Alhambra. I was just there. This was the great fortress of Granada. This was one of the greatest victories in world history. The conquest of Granada. They annexed Granada to their kingdom. And the arrogant king and queen returned to the palace. And they say, how can we ever repay our God? Ma Ashiv! Leiloika! Other than to gather all the miserable Jews who walk in darkness and force them to embrace the true religion at the threat of death. Says Abarbanel, Yotza Dvar Hamelech Vedasai, like the dust of Parasumadai. And it occurred in the ominous year of 1492. Many Achroinim find a remez in Tanakh for the year 1492. Abar says it's Merumas in the Pasuk. Mizare Yisrael Akabitsenu. Mizare is Gematria 252. And we know in order to translate a Jewish date into a secular date, you add the year 1240. Says Abarbanel, the decree went forth that in three months every Jew who would not accept the Christian faith would be banished from the country. And in what month did it fall out on? The ominous month of Av. Says Abarbanel, this is the meaning of the Pasuk. Ata Yoichalem Chaydesh Eschalkeem. Now the month will consume her remnant. The month predestined for tragedy that consumed them in the time of the Bayes Rishine. The month was after them again in the Bayashani. The month was after them again in Spain. But the Abarbanel adds, frighteningly, 
Ferdinand scheduled the expulsion for August 2nd, 1492. Tisha B'Av. Writes Abar Benel, Ferdinand did not do this intentionally. He didn't pick Tisha B'av. He didn't know about Tisha B'av. But Min HaShamayim Hidrichuhu Lahagbaras Hazman Heaven orchestrated this. Every last Jew living in Sepharad, Sicily, Mallorca, Sardinia, convert or expulsion. Says Abar Benel, I sat in the palace. I would not keep my mouth closed. I risked my life. I screamed with every fiber of my being. Save my people. What do you want from them? Why are you doing this? You want money? I will personally raise a hefty sum to release every Jew. I pleaded. Ababinel says, you should know Ferdinand and Isabella, history will judge you as criminals. And Ferdinand was shaken. And he was about to relent. Whereupon the great and terrible inquisitor, Turkamada, Thomas de Turkamada, of Jewish descent, came running in, waving a cross, ranting and raving, frightening them with the fires of the purgatory. They were so shaken to the core, they asked Abarbanel to step out. The edict was signed. The Alhambra decree, which by the way was only rescinded about 60 years ago. It was rescinded in the 1960s. It was still in effect until the 1960s. It was completed, set to go into motion, Thursday, August 2nd, Tishabav, a year like this. Says Abarbanel, as bad as Ferdinand was, Vehamalka Oimedes al Yeminoi Lesitna. By the way, Turkamada and Isabella had a very intimate relationship. Turkamada was Isabella's personal confessor. And in 1483, he's appointed as the Grand Inquisitor. Within a few years after his assumption, he personally was responsible for 30,000 Jewish lives. The cries of the torture chambers reverberated throughout Spain. The smoke of the pyres of the auto de fe hovered like a dark cloud over the Iberian Peninsula. Listen to these words of the Barbanel. Since Golos Yerushalayim, there was never a tragedy. Now there are different accounts how many Jews actually left Spain. Barbanel writes 300,000. Some say as little as 100,000. But Barbanel writes, I among them... And how many Jews converted in 1492? At least 200,000 Jews converted to Christianity. Says Abarbanel, I was given the exclusive rights to remain in the country, to continue as finance minister, but instead I went into exile with my brethren, and as we're leaving, we're comforted by one thing and one thing only. malkam lefnehem we felt the presence of HaKadosh Baruch Hu leading us out of the Galas. Where did we go? We didn't know where we were going. Some went to Portugal. By the way, most Jews who tried to go to Portugal did not have the funding to get in. They were sent back to their homes. It was too late to leave, so they had no choice but accept forced conversion. Some went to Navari. 
We suffered. We were broken. We were hungry. Many took ships. Many of the ships, ships sunk. I myself went to Naples. By the way, the Abarbanel writes that when he came to Naples and he had no job, he understood what the Gemara means, Chisurei Mechsara Vahachi Katani. When you don't have resources, then you're able to learn. Chisurei Mechsara Vahachi Katani. For the first time, and by the way, the Abarbanel writes in his introduction, you feel his remorse and regret how he gave up so many of the best years of his life to serve kings of flesh and blood. And he longed to be able to serve the Melech Machei Hamlachim. Abarbanel arrives in Maples in 1493. By the way, he lost his only manuscript on Devarim. He comes to Corfu. What's Corfu known for? Esroigim. He comes to, by the way, Polish Yidin, like the Esroigim of Corfu. Because, uh, this just came to me, the Chayza of Lublin, whose yard site is today. The Avnei Nezer writes in a tshuva that the Chayza of Lublin endorsed the Esroigim of Corfu. Says the Avnei Nezer, probably the Chayza of Lublin knew Baruch HaKodesh that the Esroigim of Corfu were not Morkav. But says the Avnei Nezer, I'm personally not convinced. Because we know that the Chayza of Lublin was a, a, a descendant of the Bach. And that's why the Chayza of Lublin was not Makbir on Chadash. Because the Bach was not Makbir on Chadash. That's why Polish Yedin are not Makbir on Chadash because of the Chayza of Lublin. But the Bach also was not Makbir on Morkav. So maybe really it is Morkav, but the Chayza of Lublin, following the opinion of the Bach, was allowed to use the Esreg Morkav. Our Barbanel comes to Maples in the year 1493, the year Gerim. And here the Abarbanel writes his commentary to Sefer Melachim. Marav Rabbi this is a question that has been plaguing me for many, many years. We've discussed it in the past. I'll share with you what we said seven, eight years ago, but we're going to take this to another level. Here it is. It's Tishabav. We're all in the shul. We're not eating. We're not drinking. We've come to cry. Buy us Rishon. Buy us Shani. We're going to say Kinochaf Aleph for the Crusades, for the Asar Ruge Malchus. Kinamem Aleph, Shali Sufa Vaish. We're going to cry for the burning of the Talmud. In 1240. Why are we saying uh, Kina for the Asar Ruge Malchus? It didn't happen on Tishabav. Okay, we understand all Jewish tragedy could be t- traced back to Tishabav. Why are we mourning the Crusades? It didn't happen on Tishabav. We trace it back to t- Tishabav. But isn't there something so glaringly and conspicuously absent from the Kinnis book? It's a big book. In the Art Scroll edition, there are almost 500 pages in the book. There is nothing that we overlook. Isn't there something conspicuously absent? What happened to the tragedy that the Barbanel writes is the worst tragedy to happen since Chorben Yerushalayim. Not a word. Not a word in the Kinos about the Spanish Inquisition, the Spanish expulsion. Crusades, yes. Martyrs, yes. Even the Holocaust. You can have a whole half a dozen editions of Kinnis for the Holocaust. What happened to the worst tragedy that happened since 
the destruction of the temple, and it happened today. It happened on Tisha B'av. I guarantee you it wasn't a coincidence. Not a word. There must be something very important. There must be a very fundamental reason why we don't mourn the tragedy of the Spanish Inquisition and expulsion on Tisha B'av. I want to share with you a historical fact. As 300,000 Jews were leaving Spain on Tisha B'av 1492, the Gedolei Yisrael Paskind, Abarbanel among them, that as a Hirasha, they should play orchestral music. Drummers, musicians played on their instruments as they left Spain. This was no a cappella. This was legitimate music. Why? Number one, they were in danger of becoming demoralized, giving up hope, like the other 200,000 Jews who caved in to Christianity. Number two, as an expression of gratitude to Hashem that they overcame the ultimate Nisayon in life. But there's a third reason, writes Rebelio Kitaiv in the Sefer Hatayda. And that is because we never cry when we leave Galas. We only cry when we leave Yerushalayim. It was tragic, it was devastating. 300,000 Jews without home, without livelihood, but they never belonged in Spain to begin with. They were leaving Golos. A Yid never cries when they leave the Golos because we don't belong in the Golos. You know, Rabbi Chil Halpern, who records in the Seder Hadoros, in the entry for the year 1620, he makes a startling comment. He asks, why is it that the community of worms suffered the worst fate of any community of all the, on the European continent? He writes, says the Sma, that Worms Vermeiser was founded by Jewish exiles who made their way to Germany after the destruction of the first bias. And when Ezra returns in the Bayasheni, he says, No, Yidin, come back to Eretz Yisrael, come back to Yushalayim. And the community of worms responded, We're very happy here. You go back to the big Yerushalayim, we'll st- stay right here in our little Yerushalayim. Rabbi Avram Saba, we're going to speak about soon, one of the great Kadmoinim, one of the greatest among the Gerushe Sfarad, the author of the Tzrar Hamar, he writes, Ki ha-gaiva v'hasrora Yisrael. It was their arrogance. Ad sfurim. They built big, expansive, luxurious homes. They thought they were home. They thought they were in Eretz Yisrael. And years ago we suggested that the reason why there's no kina for the Spanish expulsion is for the same reason they played music when they left Spain. Because we never cry when we leave Galas. As painful as it is, as difficult as it is, we only cry when we leave Yerushalayim. This is the lesson of the downfall of Spanish Jewry. Don't get comfortable here. Because we don't belong here. You know, and as a grandiose, as a gullus, as Spain was, 
Never in the history of the Jewish people have we been more comfortable than in the Golden of Medina in America. Look how comfortable we are here. We're so comfortable that seven out of every ten Jews that get married in this country, it's an intermarriage, Rahman al-Islam. And even in our insulated bubbles of observant society, we build homes and we drive cars as if we belong here. And that's not the reality. America is not the final destination of the Jewish people. Friends, this is what we offered a number of years ago. And there's no question that this is a, I believe, a very true and compelling approach. But here we are, Ein Beis HaMedrish Beli Chidosh. And after thinking about this question for many years, and after recently visiting Spain and Portugal just last week, I believe we will uncover added layers of depth and understanding why we completely omit the tragedy of Jewish Spanish Jewry. So last week I'm in Portugal. I was in the city of Porto. I was in the city of Lisboa. Not Lisboa, Mituva, Lisbon. They are the most magnificent cities. The sunlight there is otherworldly. The brightness of the sky is something I've never seen before. I asked, what is this? Are we, are we in paradise? And they explained, this is the contribution of King Manuel. King Manuel had all of his cities tiled with light limestone. The streets of Lisbon, the streets of Porto are tiled with limestone. And the light of the sun reflects off of the floor and it creates such a brilliant, illuminated atmosphere. It's remarkable. But the beauty of Portugal and the aesthetic contributions of King Manuel belie and cover over the atrocities and the inhumane crimes perpetrated by King Manuel against the Jewish people. So we're all familiar, as mentioned, the expulsion of 1492. So many Jews come to Portugal where they're temporarily free to observe their faith. But King, so you got it? The first king was Alfonso. He's a righteous king. Who's he married to? Infanta Isabella. He's taken over by his son, King Uau. He dies in 1495. He's succeeded by Manuel. He's known as Manuel, Manuel O. Venturoso. Manuel O. Venturoso, meaning Manuel the Fortunate. Why is he called the Fortunate? Because he's the ninth child of the Duke of Vizial, Ferdinand, and Beatriz of Portugal. So if you're the ninth son, just Lahavdel. If you're the ninth son, you're not becoming the Rebbe. If you're the ninth son, you ain't becoming the next king. So he had no shot at being a king. But through a stroke of luck and many assassinations, King Wao dies in 1495, and Manuel the Fortunate becomes the king of Portugal. See, at first he was very... Uh, he countenanced the Jews of Portugal and they had freedom. But then Manuel wanted Infanta Isabella of Aragon as a wife. 
Now, why he would want to marry her? She's already an old Almana from Alfonso. He decided, he got in his head, he's going to marry Isabella Infante. So he asks Ferdinand and Isabella of Spain, I would like to marry your daughter. They say, you're a nice guy. But heaven forbid we should ever give our daughter to a king who accepts and allows the Jews freedom in their country. You may not marry her unless you make a stipulation that you will extend the expulsion to Portugal. But it wasn't only them. Infanta Isabella was married to Alfonso. She thought that Alfonso died because he allowed the Jews refuge in Portugal. So in her mind, God struck down her former husband because he allowed the Jews to remain in Portugal. So they wrote into the Tanaim of the marriage. At the Tanaim, they're about to write the gla- break the glass. They wrote into the Shtar Kedushin that Hare At Mikudeshes Li Al Tenai. Manuel said that I will continue the persecution of the Jews in Portugal. December 4th, 1496, King signs a decree ordering all the Jews to leave the country before October 1497 or face death. But the king could not wait until October. And on the first day of Pesach, without warning, a terrible surprise was in store for the Jews of Portugal. We're going to come back to that. But friends, I want you to brace yourself for what you're about to hear. This is information that is not spoken about. Likely you've never heard it before, and perhaps we'll never hear again. Because this brings us to probably the darkest period of Jewish history. It is so painful and jarring, it is difficult to talk about. At the end of the 14th century, the beginning of the 15th century, a phenomenon occurred that never before occurred and never again occurred. And that is the spirit of the masses failed. Tens of thousands of Jews despaired of remaining Jews. Some were forced, many willingly converted to Christianity. This is not spoken about. There is evidence that in 1391, 200,000 Jews convert to Christianity. Inexplicably, this was not only affected those Jews who were not so observant, or certain circles, or certain strata. It affected everyone. Rich, poor, scholarly, Talmidei Chachamim, Rabbanim, Rosh Yeshiva, Soifrim, Moyalim. And the most painful element of all of this is that many of the apostates became great leaders of the church and were the most virulent prosecutors of their own people. It's a mistake to think that the Inquisition affected those Jews who wanted to observe Judaism openly. No. If you wanted to remain a Jew and observe Torah Mitzvahs, you had every ability to. Your rights were severely limited, but your life was not in danger. It was the conversos, the new Christians, any Jew, and we're talking about hundreds of thousands, who professed belief in Christianity. Now there were inquiries as to their, gen- their sincerity. These Jews would call themselves Anusim. 
They were forced to convert. The Spaniards called them Moranos, a pejorative term that means pigs. They were under constant scrutiny. And yes, they had underground networks of minyanim and matzah baking. But first of all, that was not everybody. And if anyone would give even an inkling that they're still observing, for instance, if you had a town on Shabbos. So on Shabbos, in the winter, you had to have your stove going. If you were a converso and, you're not, and your fire isn't going in your home and the smoke's not coming out of the chimney, you got to knock on the door and you were burnt alive. So if there was any inkling, a slip of the tongue about your brother, your sister, your uncle, the entire family was carried away. The Inquisition was completely occupied with these conversos who were always suspected of of reverting back to Jewish practice. They were subject to arrest, torture, trial, and burning at the stake. Just to give you a little reality check here in the Golden of Medina in 2023, if you think that this happened slowly, if you think that this was a progression, that over time, you know, they began to realize what was happening, it started innocuously. There was one rabid anti-Semite in 1378, Ferran Martinez. And he begins preaching virulently against the Jews. So the Jews ignored him. He's crazy. He's a Meshugana. There are always people like him. Even the popes told him to stop. But he kept at it. He kept at it. Propaganda, propaganda. In 1390, his match caught on fire. In 1390 in Seville, through his sermons, he caused the housing department to close down shuls because it didn't meet legalities. That's how it all started. On March 15th, on the Christian Holy Day, Ferran Martinez's sermon provoked a pogrom. It was controlled by the police. But now it's brewing. And on Friday, June 6th, 1391, the pent-up pogrom exploded all over Spain, 70 were communities were destroyed instantly in three months. 50,000 Jews were killed. By 1412, Spain was in shambles. So let's stop right here and make one compelling point. If you're going to get caught up on August 2nd, 1492, the date of the expulsion, Tishabov, you need to know that was a minor footnote in the century-long atrocity-filled era of the Jewish history of Spain. To commemorate what happened on Tishabov 1492 would display lack of sensitivity, awareness, and understanding what transpired for a hundred years. Studying the history of that era makes it clear it would be inappropriate to memorialize one date of 1492 when Jews actually, who wanted to observe Torah, were allowed to leave. So you say, okay, let's have a kina for the entire 100-year period of Spanish Jewry, 1391 to 1492. So I want to take you back to the sermon of Ferran Martinez, which, by the way, his first sermon was Shavasa Batamos, June 20th. Havoc is wrought in Toledo, 
And in the course of three months, men, women, children are slaughtered, tortured, sold, slow, uh, sold into slavery. Many Jews died al Kiddush Hashem. Let me give you an example. 1391, among the martyrs, the grandson of the Rush. Who's the grandson of the Rush? Rabbeinu Yehuda. His wife, his mother-in-law. Who's the mother-in-law of Rabbeinu Yehuda, grandson of the Rush? The wife of the Baal HaTurim, the wife of the Tur, gives up her life, Al-Kiddush Hashem. But unfortunately, these are the stories we hear about. But we may not be familiar with the vast majority of the other stories. In the riots in 1391, Shmuel Abarbanel of Seville, a wealthy merchant, Jewish political figure, grandfather of Don Yitzchak Abarbanel, is forced to publicly convert. This was a dagger in the heart of the Jews. He was broken that he collapsed morally. He sends his son Shmuel out to escape, to be raised as a Jew in Lisbon. He let it, lets it be known that if he were ever escaped, he would resume his life as an observant Jew, and he fulfilled his word. But not everyone returned. There was a great rabbi, Shlomo Halevi, Rabbi Solomon Halevi of Burgos. At 40 years old, he collapsed in the face of the avalanche of anti-Semitic violence. He was a great Talmudist. He was an expert in the Rambam. And in 1390, he led his wife and his five sons to baptism. This was the most significant act of apostasy in the history of Spanish Jewry. He assumes a new name, Pablo de Santa Maria. He travels to, fr- to Paris. He becomes a priest. He becomes a friend of the Cardinal, who would later become the Antipope Benedict. He's sent back to Castile, and he is now the right-hand man of Ferran Martinez. Rabbi Shlomo Halevi, now Pablo de Santa Maria, has an old friend from Yeshiva, Rabbi Joshua Halorki, a physician, a Talmudist, a philosopher. He says, Rabbi, how can you do this? You converted because you wanted to live with a Gentile woman? You converted because you wanted honor, riches, and fame? And Pablo de Santa Maria attacked Joshua Halorki back. And Joshua Halorki caved. And in 1412, Joshua Halorki was baptized as Geronimo de Santa Fe. It was such a terrible blow to the Jewish people, Kaddish was said in every shul in the Iberian Peninsula. Now a great debate is scheduled, led by Joshua Halorki, Pablo de Santa Fe. And now the rules are different. It's not like in 1263 where the Ramban was given freedom of speech. Now there's no freedom of speech. Now it's just priest cardinals led by former rabbis prosecuting the Talmud with no ability to talk back. Despite the intimidation and the pressures and the exhaustion, it was in the heat of the summer, the Rabbanim masterfully were more than a match for Joshua Halorki. And this debate is recorded in the Sefer, Shevet Halevi. So if you think this is information that is not part of our corpus, this is all recorded in the Jewish history work. 
Shevet Shevet Yehuda. But there's more that we need to know about. When the Abar Benel petitioned King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella to reconsider the Alhambra decree, he's accompanied by the most eminent member of the Jewish community of the time. His name was Rabbi Don Abraham Senior. We know about the Abar Benel. The other great personality was Don Abraham Senior, Sephardi rabbi, politician, the most notable member of the Jewish community. And on June 7th, 1492, after Abraham Senior and Abarbanel both committed themselves to be expelled, Abraham Senior and his entire family inexplicably converted to Christianity. It was sponsored by Ferdinand and Isabella. They personally witnessed this. And could you imagine at the time there were Jews, they didn't know what to do. Should we stay? Should we leave? What should we do? They had only one choice. They looked up to their leaders. And when Abraham Senior converted in the 11th hour, it was a devastating blow to the Jewish community. Demoralized, fearful of exile, now hundreds of thousands of Jews converted to Christianity. In total, 200,000 Jews chose a new fate. The balance of Spanish Jewry chose exile. Marv Raboisai, dear friends, a basic study of Spanish history in the 15th century yields a very clear explanation why we do not have a kina for the era of Spanish Jewry and why we don't mention it on Tishavav. We simply cannot talk about it. Loy lekavoid yeatlana. It's simply too shameful. Never before and never again did we experience such wholesale defection from our people. It is by far the darkest period of our history. And I believe, Mipnei Kevoidon Shal Yisrael, we don't mention it. Yeah, the Crusades, we have no hesitation. We could read in the kin in the kina. Ga'oine Eretz, Unakiye Tahara, Kidshu Shem Hamayuchad Bemaira. We're proud of what happened in the 11th century. They were Menatseach when faced with the ultimate test. And if you ask, what precedent is there just to whitewash and skip over episodes in Jewish history? There are narratives that we will not read as a Haftarah, the Gemara Megillah says, And even narratives that we do read, the Gemara says on we are not Metargeim. Says the Gemara, why are we not Metargeim the Chet Hoegel? Mipnei Kevoidon Shal Yisrael. And I would humbly offer that a very strong precedent to this idea we find in the Magen Avram and Simon Samach. Magen Avram asks a simple question. There's a mitzvah da'iraisa to remember what Amalek did to us. So what do we do? We have Shabbos Zachar. Ask the Magen Avram, but there's also a mitzvah da'iraisa to remember the Chet Ha'egel. So why don't we have Shabbos Egel? Shabbos Egel. Everyone come to shul. The men, first the men come, then the women will want to come also. We'll have special readings about the Chet Ha'egal. 
That's the kash of the Magen Avram. Magen Avram says it's a da'iraisa. Says the Magen Avram, even though it's of biblical origin, we don't lane the Egel specifically. Mepnei genusan shal Yisrael. It's too embarrassing for us. The honor of the Jewish people is too important. A cursory study of the era of Spanish Jewry will yield that despite thousands of examples of Kiddush Hashem, overall it is not an era that shows our people at its best. Ukevoid Yisrael Haster Davar. And if you want to know other examples of this, Chanukah, where we basically don't tell the story. And we'll discuss that at a different time. But I believe, friends, there's another Nakuda that should be mentioned. Let's come back to King Manuel, King of Portugal. We said that on the first day of Pesach, he had a, he had a surprise in store for the Jews of Portugal. I want to tell you about one of the most notable of the Gerushe Sfarad, Rabbi Avram Saba. He's born in 1440. He's a student of Rabbi Yitzchak de Leon. At the time of the expulsion, he's already an accomplished Talmud Chacham. In 1492, Avram Saba flees to Portugal. He comes to Aporto, where he finds safe haven and he's starting to write the Tzrar Hamar. So he's there for a few peaceful years until Manuel marries Infanta Isabella and expels the Jews. But as mentioned, even though it was scheduled for October, on the first day of Pesach, there was a surprise in store for the Jewish community. Jews gathered in Lisbon, surrounded by priests. They were sprinkled with the water. They were forcibly converted. And every parent in Portugal who had children below the age of 18, their children were kidnapped and they never saw them again. If you were a parent in Portugal with a child under 18, there were no exceptions. All the children of Portugal were taken to an island off of Africa and the parents never saw them again. All the children were forcibly converted. Rabbi Avram Saba never saw his children again. There's a great reshine. Rabbi Avram ben David ibn Dawid Halevi, he's called Ravid the First. Ravid the First lived from the year 1110 to 1180. He wrote a seminal historical work called Sefer HaKabbalah, where you're demonstrating the unbroken chain of Torah from Sinai to his times. In the Sefer, the Ravid grapples with the unparalleled tragedy of forced conversion. And the Ravid makes the following chilling observation. He says the tragedy of forced conversions is worse than the tragedy of the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. About the Chorban of Yirmiyah says, Asher Lamaves Lamaves, Vasher Lacherev Lacherev, Vasher Larov Larov. There was only death, sword, captivity but no conversion. But the conversions in the time of Spanish Jewry, that was worse than the destruction of the Temple. Thus, friends, we have arrived at another insight why the tragedy of 15th century Spanish Jewry is omitted from the kinnis of Tishabav, Because Tishabav is reserved to commemorate Chorban Beis HaMikdash and those tragedies similar to it. 
But the tragedies of Spanish Jewry were worse than the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. And therefore, they don't have a place on Tisha B'Av. Very shortly after, the Ravid wrote these words. Again, don't confuse this with the Ravid II, the Baal HaSagas on the Rambam. Shortly after the Ravid wrote these words, and he made this observation, he himself was confronted with the terrible challenge. He was indeed confronted himself. And this Torah scholar, philosopher, historian, overcame the challenge. And he offered up his life, Al-Kiddush Hashem. I want to share with you one final prophecy of the Abarbanel himself. The Navi Oivadya talks about V'golos hachel hazel levnei Yisrael V'golos yushalayim asher besfarad yarshu es arei hanegev Abarbanel says in the end of days the Golos Yushalayim that ended up in Spain will inherit the cities of the south. Says Abarbanel that in his humble opinion, this refers to the conversos and to the Anusim. Says Abarbanel, Ulai Shekivan Gamkain El Bnei Yisrael Asher Yotzu Michlal Hadas Mitoikov Hatsoros Vahashmodos Venisharu Besfarad. Says Abarbanel, this is a fruition. This came to fruition. This will come to fruition. Or all the hundreds of thousands of Jews that remained in Spain and converted, scholars estimate that today 80% of Spaniards have Jewish blood. It's not only Spain. A very high percentage of Europeans in general have Jewish blood. Says Abarbanel, Alofim Uravavois, Kihilois, Gedoilois. Haim Yashuvu Uvikshu as Hashem Eloikechem. The day will come that they will return and seek out Hakadosh Baruch Hu, like we read in today's laning. Uvikashtem Misham as Hashem Eloikecha Umatzasa. Says Abarbanel, as we see they have begun to do today. May we all merit to sanctify the name of Hashem Bechayenu. As we are all mispalel every single day, we should all be zoichet to see the ultimate Kiddush Hashem of the Biyaskoel Tzedek and the Binyan Beis HaMikdash. Amen. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.